following message is presented by Erie Evangelical Free Church in Erie, Illinois. We are a church that exists for the good of our community and are proud to share the gospel of Jesus Christ as we seek to know him and make him known. I am an early riser. Like I always have been. Even when I was a little kid, I was up early. And as an adult, that's just continued. And as I've gotten older, it's been earlier and earlier. Like I just find that it's, it's the best way for me to operate. I get up early. I can start getting things done by six or seven in the morning. I feel like I've checked a couple things off my list of things to do. I feel better about the day ahead. I'm just, I, I feel more accomplished at the end of the day. If I'm up early, moving, getting things done. It's just the way I operate. Now, that doesn't mean that it's always easy for me to get out of bed first thing in the morning. There are days where it is difficult especially on like a cold February morning. Like on those days, there is no place I would rather be. There's no place I'd rather stay than in my warm, cozy, comfortable bed. Because when we're comfortable, it's hard to move forward, isn't it? When we're nice and cozy and comfortable, it's hard to get up and do something else. This is a reality that extends beyond my morning routine or beyond whatever your routines may be in the morning or in the evening. Because we can all find ourselves in life, whether it's in in situations or relationships or practices where we know that we need to get up and we need to move forward. But in our comfort, we find ourselves sitting idly by. In today's passage, Jacob's going to find himself in a similar situation where he fails to get up and get out of bed, where he fails to get moving. But through Jacob's failure, God's going to remind us of his faithfulness. And as we read this passage, it should raise two questions in our minds. First, it should raise the question of, do I truly see how big and how amazing and how good God's faithfulness is? And number two, how do I respond to that big, amazing, and good faithfulness? We're going to look at 15 verses here. And there are 15 verses that show us God's faithfulness and reveal three responses to that faithfulness. Three responses that that faithfulness should elicit in our lives. And first, we're going to see that God's faithfulness commands our recognition. God's faithfulness commands our recognition. Genesis 35, verses 1 through 8. says, God said to Jacob, get up, go to Bethel and settle there. Build an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his family and all who were with him, Get rid of the foreign gods that are among you. Purify yourselves and change your clothes. We must get up and go to Bethel. I will build an altar there to God who answered me in my day of distress. He has been with me everywhere I have gone. Then they gave Jacob all their foreign gods and their earrings. And Jacob hid them under the oak near Shechem. When they set out, a terror from God came over the cities around them and they did not pursue Jacob's sons. So Jacob and all who were with him came to Luz that is Bethel, in the land of Canaan. Jacob built an altar there and called the place El Bethel, 
because it was there that God had revealed himself to him when he was fleeing from his brother. Deborah, the one who had nursed and raised Rebekah, died and was buried under the oak south of Bethel. So Jacob named it Alan Bakuth. God's faithfulness commands our recognition. When Jacob initially left his home, remember back in chapter 28, he had deceived his brother and Esau said, I will kill my brother. And so Jacob went on the run, running to, to Paden Aram, a 500 mile journey that he took by himself to, to his mother's homeland. But on the way, God showed up and met him at Bethel. And at that time, Jacob made a vow to the Lord. He said, God, if you will protect me on this journey, you will be my God and I will worship you and you alone. So Jacob has made it to Padanaram. God protected him. He's made it back and God has protected him. But Jacob doesn't come back and go to Bethel to worship the Lord. He settles in Shechem. And we saw two weeks ago, the problems that arose because he decided to settle here instead of the place where God had shown up. And what we find is that Jacob had become comfortable where he was at. He set up shop in Shechem and he was like, you know, this is good. I got what I need. I'm fine. I'm comfortable. I've reached an older age. I don't want to do more traveling. Let's just set up shop here. He stalled out on his journey because of his comfort. Now, to Jacob's credit, when God shows up and says, hey, you need to come to Bethel. You need to come and you need to worship me. Jacob submitted. Jacob obeyed the Lord's calling. He says, ah, oh, yes, yes, I, I need to go to Bethel. I need to go to the house of God. I need to worship him. That's where I need to be. And so as he gets ready to go, he talks to his family and he purifies his whole family, removing from them the idols that they had accumulated. Some of these they'd accumulated in Paden Aram. Remember on his journey back, his wife Rachel had stolen some of her father's household idols. And it's highly likely that in their time in Shechem and in and around Shechem, this pagan city, that they had collected other gods and other idols that were prominent in those places. So Jacob says, no, 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 we will worship the Lord and worship him alone. And so he purifies his family, ridding them of all of these false gods. And then they take the journey to Bethel, which is probably only about a 15 mile travel. But along the way, if we remember two weeks ago, in the, the, the issue that arose and why uh, Jacob became so angry with Simeon and Levi over their actions. Jacob's response to his sons was, listen, you had gone in and you slaughtered these people of Shechem. That's gonna raise the ire of the people around us. They could all attack us. They could take us out. You guys have acted foolishly and selfishly and it's gonna cause our demise. But here God says, no, you're gonna be faithful. You're gonna do what I've called you to do and I'm going to protect you. So God once again provides for and protects Jacob and his family on the journey. He brings this dread, he brings this fear on the cities of the people around them. The people aren't afraid of Jacob. They're not afraid of Jacob's family. The Lord sends a fear. The Lord provides and protects. And so Jacob goes, goes to Bethel, this house of God, and he worships there. 
upon his arrival or, or shortly before the arrival. It's, it's not incredibly clear in the text. But upon the, the, the arrival, it says that, that, uh, that Deborah, Rebecca's nurse, dies. Okay, hold on a second. Do you remember who Rebecca is? It's not Jacob's wife. It's Jacob's mother. Deborah was the nurse who nursed and raised Jacob's mother. This is an old woman. Jacob's been gone for 40 years, right? He, he, he's at least 60, 80 years old. His mother's nurse, just do the math. I'm not gonna do it. You do the math. Why is this significant here? A couple of things. First, it's, it's giving us a picture of a transition of the family line. All right, we saw this when we studied the life of Abraham and then God's promise moved from Abraham to Isaac. And then we saw the promise go from Isaac to Jacob. And now we're starting a transition from Jacob to his sons. God's faithfulness is gonna carry on through the generations. But second, I think we see this in this passage. Jacob is faithful. He's doing what God called him to do. And Deborah dies. In the midst of the joy of his obedience and his worship, there is suffering. He names the place Elan Bakuth, which means oak or tree of weeping. There's pain, there's heartache here. Wait a second, he's being faithful. He's doing what God called him to do. Shouldn't everything go smoothly and everything be right? But they still experience suffering. Even in the faithfulness of his vow, Jacob encounters suffering. And so it goes, not just for Jacob, but so it goes for us too, right? Anybody wanna argue with me that when you're faithful, you don't ever suffer and there's no hardships that come upon you in your life? I hope you're right and I hope I'm wrong, but I'm not. Even in faithfulness, we can suffer. Many of you have celebrated Christmases while missing loved ones who are on the other side of the country or the other side of the world. We've been to birthday parties all while you are suffering and mourning the loss of a family member or a friend. You sat in these seats and sung the praises of a great and awesome God while you feel like your life is spinning out of control. Even in faithfulness, there is suffering. But here's the key. Without recognizing God's faithfulness, you and I will always be left to spin out of control in the midst of that suffering. If we don't understand God's faithfulness, if we are left to think, well, I, if I just do enough good stuff, then everything good is gonna happen to me. And if bad things happen, then it's because I'm not doing something right. I gotta fix that. Right? You will spin out of control in your suffering every single time. You'll find yourself where Solomon found himself in Ecclesiastes. Remember, we studied the book of Ecclesiastes. What does Solomon say? Solomon, the richest, most wisest man to ever live, the guy who had everything you could ever want. Book of Ecclesiastes opens in chapter one, verse two, and it says, absolute futility, says the teacher, the teacher being Solomon. Absolute futility, absolute futility. Everything is futile. 
right? Everything is pointless. Everything is worthless when I am responsible for everything. When I don't have God's faithfulness to fall back on. So what is it that keeps us moving forward? What is it that keeps us celebrating and partying and praising even in the midst of suffering? It's the recognition of the faithfulness of God. That no matter how difficult the situation before you is this morning, and as always, I don't want you to hear me saying that. It's like, well, your problems don't matter. Get up, get over it. It's fine. No, I'm not saying that. Because sometimes in this life, we hurt, we suffer, and we are broken by the situations around us. But even then, no matter how difficult the situation before you is, God is greater and his faithfulness will deliver you. If your trust is in Jesus Christ, if you're relying on the faithfulness of God. Paul writes in Romans Chapter one, verse five. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have also obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character and proven character produces hope. This hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's given to us. Okay, what's Paul saying here? He's saying a lot of stuff. But one of the things he's saying to us is this, there will be suffering in your faith, but if you trust in the faithfulness of God, you know that he is working and moving in ways you do not understand and ways you will never understand. And so you can endure that suffering. You can take on that affliction knowing that God is using it to produce in you godliness and character and strength. God is using that hurt, that heartache to build you up. And listen, I know sometimes you don't feel it in the moment. Sometimes it just feels like you're being beaten down and that's all there is to it. But when we trust in the faithfulness of God, we know that God can take even the hardest, even the most difficult, even the greatest struggle we face and use it to produce in us his glory and the best for us and for our lives. God's faithfulness brought safety to Jacob's journey and would bring the fulfillment of the mission and would bring comfort in the midst of pain. And God will do the same thing in our lives. But that only happens if we recognize his faithfulness, regardless of what is going on in our lives. It's a question of will our trust in God's faithfulness allow us to see his goodness even as we suffer? When we start by recognizing God's faithfulness, we then move forward. And we see God's faithfulness commands our recognition, but also God's faithfulness exceeds our obedience. God's faithfulness exceeds our obedience. Verses nine through 13 says, God appeared to Jacob again after he had returned from Padanaram and he blessed him. God said to him, your name is Jacob. 
You will no, your name is Jacob. You will no longer be named Jacob, but your name will be Israel. So he named him Israel. God also said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation, indeed an assembly of nations, will come from you and kings will descend from you. I will give you the land that I gave Abraham and Isaac and I will give this land to your future descendants. Then God withdrew from him at a place where he had spoken to him. God's faithfulness exceeds our obedience. God appears to Jacob here in these verses once again, just as he had at Bethel in chapter 28, just as he had when Jacob was in the land of Paden Aram, and just as he had when Jacob was sat by the ford of Jabbok and wrestled with God. And here God gives him that reminder of his faithfulness once again. God reminds Jacob of the promise that God had made to his whole family line in verses 11 and 12. But then God also reaffirms his, his faithfulness to Jacob through the changing of his name. Remember, Jacob had received his new name at the ford of Jabbok. He'd been called, he said, your name will be Israel. And here God comes and confirms that change of name. And what God is doing here for Jacob and for the days that lie ahead of him is God's giving Jacob a view of the long-term blessing, right? He says, I'm gonna give you this land that I promised your father and your grandfather. I'm gonna give this to you. I'm gonna give this to your descendants and I'm gonna make a great nation out of you. Now, here's the thing. Remember when Israel goes into the promised land and takes, takes that land? Remember where that happens? It doesn't happen to the book of Exodus. And we have a tendency to read that. Like we read through the end of Genesis, that takes us, you know, another 10 minutes or so. And then it takes us a couple minutes to get through the Exodus, gets us to the, the Israelites. And we're like, okay, yeah, God was faithful and he took them through this, this time and all this stuff, right? But we forget because we can read that in 20 minutes that it's a 500 year span. God's giving Jacob a long-term view, right? 500 years, that's a long term. I don't think we usually appreciate how long that is. That takes us today, right? That takes us back to the 1520s, to the 1520s. You know what was happening in the, in the 1520s? Martin Luther was writing. You know what else happened in the 1520s? Um, Henry VIII was king. You know what else happened in the, the 1520s? The bubonic plague was just starting to spread, right? We think of those things as ancient history, right? That's a long time ago. God says, Jacob, I'm giving you a long-term view of my faithfulness. You're not gonna see this. You're not gonna experience the fullness of this. He's saying it's not a matter of Jacob being obedient in the moment and therefore seeing the fullness of God's promises come to fruition. But God is saying, don't worry about that. God says, I am faithful, you trust me. You follow me, you obey me, and you know that my faithfulness is greater than any act of obedience you can offer up. He says, it's not for you to understand how I'm gonna bless you and how I'm gonna be faithful. Trust me. In 1854, Lord Tennyson wrote a famous poem, and you've heard part of this poem cited incorrectly many times, I'm sure. 
But he wrote this poem called The Charge of the Light Brigade, which is a, a, really a story of a failed uh, British military attack. And in the second stanza, he says this, forward the light brigade. Was there a man dismayed? Not though the soldiers knew someone had blundered. There's not to make reply. There's not to reason why. There's but to do and die in the valley of death rode the 600. Tennyson is talking here about the soldier's mission. He says the soldiers are given orders and their job is to respond. Their job is to trust that there is a bigger picture at play than what they see right in front of them. Now, Tennyson's talking about how ill-conceived this mission is. That's a different concept for us. But he's saying it's not the soldier's job to know exactly how all this is going to play out and how it all figures into the big picture. The soldier's job is to act. You and I are called to obedience in the Lord. And we could, we could spend hours going all over all of the verses and all of the biblical calls for obedience in our lives. But I think if, if we've read the Bible you know, once, we understand that there are plenty of passages that tell us that our call is to be obedient to the Lord. But the reality is that no matter how obediently you and I can form our lives, we will still fall short of understanding what God is doing. We will still fall short of, of, of seeing and fully understanding, fully grasping the big picture. And what's more, we will always fall short of being worthy of God's faithfulness. I don't care how good you are. I don't care how nice a person you are. I don't care how great you are to your family. I don't care how respected you are in the community. You don't deserve God's faithfulness. Have a great day. (laughs) Not a single one of us deserves God's faithfulness. And on one level, that that can feel defeating. But at the same time, it's a glorious reminder of just how faithful God is, how much further his faithfulness extends beyond our obedience. We are called to obey. We are called to give our heart, our soul, our everything to obey every one of God's words, commands, laws, statutes, decrees. but we will fall short. And when we fall short, God's faithfulness will still extend over us. In Proverbs 24, verse 16, it says, though a righteous person falls seven times, he will get up, but the wicked will stumble into ruin. What's the difference between a righteous person and the wicked person? It's not how nice they are. It's not how many Bible verses they know. It's not how great a teacher of the word they are. It's not in what their degree is in. It's in Jesus Christ. He is the only distinction between the righteous and the wicked. Jesus Christ will raise you up because God's faithfulness far exceeds our obedience. That's the whole truth of the gospel. That God in his great and awesome love for us refused to leave us in the selfishness and the wickedness of our own flesh, our own desires, the things we think we deserve or the things we think we need. All of those things take us from him. 
lead us astray. And yet God still loved us so much that he refused to let us run off. And so we sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live perfectly without sin, to become the perfect sacrifice so that he could die sacrificially, taking our place on the cross, putting his blood in place of ours, paying the penalty we owe, also that he could rise victoriously, having defeated sin, now defeating death, leaving an only, only an empty tomb as the marker for the power that sin and death once held over mankind so that he could deliver us completely. So that he could buy us back. That truth, that's not something that you and I can earn. It's not something you and I can ever deserve. It is simply a proclamation of the goodness and the faithfulness the love, the grace, and the mercy of our God. And that truth should cause us to explode with gratitude in our hearts. Because again, no matter how greatly we fail, and we will, no matter how greatly we fail, God is faithful. Do we find peace? Do we find our rest, our hope? in God's faithfulness, even as we wrestle with our failures, even as we acknowledge our brokenness, do we realize that God's faithfulness does not depend on us being good enough? God's faithfulness exceeds our obedience and our disobedience. Finally, as we see that the God's faithfulness commands our recognition and God's faithfulness exceeds our obedience, we must come to the reality that God's faithfulness deserves our worship. This passage ends in verses 14 and 15, where it says, Jacob set up a marker at the place where he had spoken to him a stone marker. He poured a drink offering on it and anointed it with oil. Jacob named the place where God had spoken with him Bethel. God's faithfulness deserves our worship. Jacob's response here to God, calling him to Bethel, to God appearing to him, to God reminding him of the promises of God's faithfulness. Jacob's response is exactly what we would think his response should be. It's a response of worship. Jacob at this place places a, a, a stone marker and he anoints it with oil. We've seen him do this before. This is what he did the last time he was in Bethel. He put the stone marker, he anointed it with oil. And then he calls the name of the place Bethel. And, and if you remember this whole story, this seems kind of odd for him to name the place Bethel, doesn't it? Because Abraham had named the place Bethel. And then when Jacob showed up on his way to Padanaram, he names the place Bethel. And now he comes back a bunch of years later and what's he do? He names the place Bethel. I don't know about you, but I only named my kids once. <laughs> but Jacob does this three times. 
And all of this for Jacob is simply a reaffirmation of the fact that he knows who God is and he knows the faithfulness of the God he serves. And Monday was Memorial Day. If you were in town, we always have a, a, a great parade and Memorial Day service. Some of you may even go on every year and have some kind of barbecue or some kind of thing going on. Uh, maybe you have some kind of um, some, some kind of other thing that you always do every year on Memorial Day. Some tradition. Why do we do those same things every single year? It's so we remember. Right? It's not about what the act itself accomplishes. It's remembering the reason for that action. Jacob's response of worship in light of God's faithfulness is fitting and it is proper. He reminds himself of how faithful God is. It's not that by placing the stone and anointing it with oil, now he's got things right with the Lord. No, he's like, I know I've done this before, but I'm not gonna forget this. I will not forget who my God is, what he has done, what he has called me to. And this really sums up the entire idea behind these 15 verses. You could simplify these 15 verses and say, what does this say to us? It says this, God is faithful. Completely. Always. Period. Exclamation point. End of sentence. No more conversation needed. God is faithful. And if that is true, how could you and I ever approach this God with anything less than the worship of our entire heart, soul, mind, and strength? This is part of why this time of gathering on a weekly basis is so important for us. This is why we need to have time where we gather together because this should be a constant reminder for us that no matter how our week has gone, no matter how good or how bad it has been, no matter how busy we are, no matter how lost we feel, no matter what is going on, no matter what the rest of our lives look like, God is faithful. He is here for you. In one of his last speeches, the people of Israel before before Moses passes away in Deuteronomy chapter 32, he begins this song over the people of Israel. And he says, I will proclaim the Lord's name, declare the greatness of our God, the rock, his work is perfect. All his ways are just. A faithful God without bias. He is righteous and true. The Israelites have seen God moving in their journey through the wilderness. They've seen God do incredible things and deliver them time and time and time again. And yet Moses starts with this proclamation. Don't forget who God is. God is our rock. He is true. He is just. He is right. He is good. He is our protector. He is our provider. He is our deliverer. He is our everything. He is faithful. That's why we sing songs when we gather together. 
It's why we sing songs of, of praise and adoration. It's why we surrender ourselves in prayer. It's why we submit to the truth of God's word. It's why we fellowship together to be reminded of God's goodness, God's love, God's grace, and God's mercy. And this should extend beyond the walls of this place. It should encompass every single moment of the rest of our lives, this worship of the faithfulness of God. It's why when we go out into the world this week, our response to higher gas prices or higher food prices should look different than the world around us because our trust isn't in money. It's why our response to failed relationships should look differently because we know that we are truly loved by God and we are only ever truly, fully, and completely loved by the Lord. It's why our response to the disappointments that we face in life should still bring us back to the joy of knowing that God has given us everything we need in Jesus Christ and in the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Because God is faithful and that's always deserving of our worship. Listen, does our view of God's faithfulness bring us into worship in every situation without reservation? without bitterness, without grumbling, without arrogance, without self-pity, without any other godly attitude attached to it? Do we know, do we understand God's faithfulness? And do we worship him? Our God is good. Our God is loving. Our God is kind. Our God is trustworthy. Our God is just. Our God has promised our redemption and eternal life by his grace through faith in the person, the work, and the victory of his son, Jesus Christ. And because our God is faithful, we know that no matter what this life holds, our eternity is secured in him. And so, in every day, in every moment of our lives, we recognize through our thoughts, our words, and our deeds, we recognize the faithfulness of God. We seek to obey his commands, his decrees, his laws of holiness, knowing that his gifts are offered not because we have earned them, but because Jesus has earned them. And so we respond with obedience. And we offer our worship the worship of his great and awesome name through every aspect of our lives. The faithfulness of God changes everything about the life of one whose hope is in the Lord. Church family, may we never fail to see, to consider and surrender to the faithfulness of the God of heaven and earth. Let us be a people whose lives look different from the world around us, not because we are better or more free from struggle or more deserving of blessing, but because we know the faithfulness of the God who has saved us because we've yielded our hearts, minds, soul, and strength to the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us and through us to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and to share the love of our heavenly father with every word, every deed, every thought. God is faithful. We are grateful. 
Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your incredible faithfulness, for the love, the grace, and the mercy that has redeemed us, has paid the penalty that we could never pay with that perfect, love, perfect body and blood of Jesus Christ. The sacrifice we do not deserve and a sacrifice we rejoice that we have received. God, you are so faithful. And while we may never understand that, we thank you and we praise you. In your great and in your awesome name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you'd like more information about Erie Evangelical Free Church or our ministries, please visit www.eriefree.com or join us in person at 1409 16th Avenue, Erie, Illinois.